There we go. Good morning. It feels nice and full. Are you excited to be here? More importantly, do the red shoes make it on the camera? No, no. Um, so here's the deal. When you see Ewan, you have to make a really big deal. Oh, he's here. Can you stick your foot up in the air so everyone can see it? Woo! <laughs> Uh, we had a really fun moment. Ewan's changed his favorite color. He used to always say it was blue, green, and orange. And then he started watching the Power Rangers and decided the Red Ranger was the coolest. And so he's gone to red being his favorite color and he wanted a pair of red shoes. And there was this fun moment where I was like, I'm gonna get ones that match mine. And so uh, the box comes in the mail, he opens it up and it's the moment of elation when he realizes he's got red shoes. And it's like one of those moments for Ewan where it's like the height of his excitement. And so he's looking at it and he's like, red shoes! And then he looks and he's like, has that moment of realization that they look like mine? And then what I thought was Ewan's peak of excitement went up a notch and he's like, and they're like daddies! <laughs> so it was pretty fun. So we decided we would match today uh, and, and that's always extra fun. <laughs> so he's over there having fun. So anyway, uh, welcome to Alliance. If you don't know me, I'm Scotty. I'm the pastor here. Um, it's, it's always good to be with you. We are starting a new series today, um, and it's a series called Sent. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the book of Acts and working our way through. So we're going to be here for a while. Um, each week, there's going to be a chunk of scripture. So you might want to have a Bible in front of you so that you can see where we're going or pull it up on a phone because um, we're going to cover a lot of content over the next period of time. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why we're doing this series. I always want to give you the reason why. Um, so when we look at the book of Acts, you're looking at the history of the early church. So this is Jesus has come, uh, he's died, he's gone to heaven, he sent out his spirit, and he's appointed the church to go and be his instruments into the world. And so as we're looking at this church and what's it look like to redevelop and re-envision where we're going as a church, a good place to go is back to the early church and see what did the early church look like? What did it look like? when the Spirit was moving through a group of people, and how does that inform the way that we do mission here? Um, there's a couple of things that we need to have in mind as we go through. Um, there's a couple of dangers in the book of Acts that we have to be careful of. One is that there's content in Acts that's descriptive of the early church, and there's content in Acts that's prescriptive of the future church. And so as we're reading, we have to make decisions as I'm reading this content in Acts, is this describing what the early church looked like or is this prescribing what our church should look like moving forward? And, um, and there's some wrestling that we have to do with the text to figure out what is an instruction for the way the church should be formed today and what is just given us historical information about the way it happened back then. Um, so, so that's an important filter that we've got to have as we're walking through because we're asking, what does it look like to be on mission here? What's it look like to be engaged in what the Spirit wants to do in this church and into the community? Um, and, and so we've got to be paying attention. The other thing that's, that's interesting as you walk through Acts is there's lots of content where different people are going into different communities and preaching the gospel. You've got a, a, a church that is in a, a government that is not favorable to their faith. You've got a church that is experiencing massive persecution. And then you've got the, the work that they do and the message that they bring. And so we get to walk through this. And I would invite you, pay attention to what people are teaching. Pay attention when, when they're in front of people. What's the message that they declare? Because I think what you'll see is it's a lot different to the message that we get hung up on over here today. 
Um, and so I, I want to look at it and, and be asking the question, like, is this message that I'm hearing from the mouths of the early church the same message that's the thing I'm hung up on as we're trying to work out how to carry this message forward? Um, so, so those are the, the two things to be thinking about as we go. We're going to jump. I just want to give you a whole bunch um, of text today. We're going to read through Acts chapter 1. Um, so have your Bible open. It's up on the screen. Uh, uh, and, and let's get going on this. So Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you, going at this, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the moment? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. I told myself I wouldn't interrupt this. It's not for us to know the times and dates. Let's not try and figure out the times and dates. Get that? It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's taken, uh, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, J John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and he said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as the guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his guts spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akaldama, that is, field of blood. For, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over this apostolic ministry 
which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Man, <laughs> are you ready for this? We're just getting started. Um, so a little bit of background information, just a couple of little details just to have in mind that are important. Um, so first of all, when we're talking about the book of Acts, we're really talking about the book of Luke-Acts. So Luke and Acts are two halves of the same work. Uh, unfortunately, the way they arranged the Bible, they stuck John after it and in between them because it felt like Matthew, Mark, and Luke went better together. Um, and so they put John interrupting Luke and Acts. But Luke is part one uh, and Acts is part two. So that's really important. Um, it's written by Luke. Who was Luke? He was a Gentile doctor. Um, we know this from the beginning of Luke. We know it from some of the record that we're going to see in Acts. So he's an intelligent and educated person. Um, and, and he travels with Paul. So he's one of Paul's companions. There's different parts of the journey through the book. We're going to see him talking about Paul and Peter and others. And then all of a sudden he starts breaking into we language. Like we did this, we did that. Um, the book's written AD 62 to 63. Why does that matter? Because there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens right after this. Destruction of the temple, people getting ransacked, all sorts of horrible things that went on to the Christian nation. So this is written right before all of that happens. Um, and, and it's a time period that's spanning about 30 years. So, so we're looking at 28 chapters. Um, and as you read them, it goes very quickly. But you've got to remember, we're looking at a 30-year period. Um, isn't it interesting that the Jesus story is 30 years from his birth to his uh, death and resurrection? And we've got 30 years from his death and resurrection uh, to, to the continuation of this story. Um, Three, three other little pieces that aren't up here that, that I think are just important. So first of all, um, if you were to try and work out the genre of the book, because genre matters. Like You don't interpret historical literature the same way you interpret poetry, the same way you interpret uh, someone's letters. So genre matters. So this is what we would call inspired history, inspired church history. And there's a lot of church history out there. You can go and read books and books and books on church history. There's only one church history that exists that's inspired. Everything else after Luke is not inspired. Everything else after he writes Acts is someone else interpreting the events. But this is inspired by God and put in the Bible for us to read. Um, this book carries an apologetic function. And if you were to go look in commentaries and try and figure out why is Luke writing this book, there's, there's lots of debate and discussion and nuances. And at the end of the day, they all say kind of the same thing. And everyone's just trying to get a book published. So, because <laughs> that's what happens. Um, so, so it, it's really, it carries an apologetic function. So, so in the beginning of Luke, he's explaining that he's writing these things so that someone can understand the evidence behind what happened. So there's a, an apologetic function. Oh, stick it up there, that's great. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been filled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, uh, I have carefully investigated everything about Jesus from the beginning. I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. So, so Luke is given the explanation of Luke and Acts. Why is he doing this? So that people can understand the certainty uh, of the things that happened. And so there's an apologetic function. He's, he's defending uh, the events of Jesus' life. And actually, one of the theories in, in why Luke went on to write uh, Luke and then Acts, one of the theories is that uh, Paul is in prison in Rome and he's, 
he's up to, to die for the things that he's teaching. And so Luke is, some, some people would say Luke was actually writing Acts to explain that everything that Paul did was in harmony with the Jewish faith. And so he's not a blasphemer and shouldn't die. And he's not uh, encouraging people to stand against the government and fight back against the government, that it's a peaceful religion that deserves the rights of Judaism. And so, so all of this, he, he's trying to give a defense. Who was Jesus? What was the church? How does it fit with what came before through the Jewish story? Uh, and so he's explaining all of this. The last part is, is just, it's addressed to Theophilus. So in my former book, Theophilus, um, and the first book is, I'm, I'm writing a, a, an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So who is Theophilus? And again, you can read all sorts of theories. The answer is, we have no idea. So, so you can pick your best guess, but, but a, a couple of things go into this discussion. Number one is Theophilus was a, a wealthy person that, that existed in the realm of, of uh, Paul's ministry. And so he's been, Luke has been commissioned by this wealthy man to write an account to help him understand all that happened. So that's option number one. Option number two is that Theophilus is actually the person that's in charge of Paul's case. And he's the judge going to preside over Paul. And so Luke is writing this defense so that he can see it in advance and be prepared to let Paul off, um, which is an interesting uh, theory. And then the last one is um, that Theophilus isn't actually uh, an individual person because the word Theophilus is the word theos, which means God, and philos, which means love. So it's a lover of God. Um, so he could be saying, in my, in my former book, All You Lovers of God, this is what I did. Um, so that's just little background information. Take your pick. Um, there are things I think are better than others, um, but, but there's just there's some information out there. It's always good to know. Jump online, do a little like background to the book of Acts, and just look at some of the theories and see, see what you think. So let's leave all that behind. Um, I just wanted you to have some of that information as we go. So... We're in this series, we're calling it Sent. And the reason for that is I feel like so often the church, especially in the Western world, has lost sight of the mission of God. So what we like to do is we like to gather in a room, we like to worship, we like to do our Bible studies, we like to gather with Christians and talk about holy things. And then we really struggle with getting out into the world and doing what the church actually exists to do. Um, and, and so this series, Sent, I want us to recover the idea that the church is a sent agency and that us as believers, our primary commission is people who are sent. Um, and so I want to start just with this point. We worship ascending God. We worship ascending God. We don't worship a God that just keeps everyone where they are. I mean, you can go back to the beginning, Genesis. God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And what does he say? Fill the earth and subdue it. Not like stay in the garden and just live around this little tree and try not to eat it. He's like, get out there and fill the earth. And so it's, it's ascending God. As we read the story, he calls people like Abraham and he says, go to this land that you don't know about. I'm going to send you there. Um, and so he's, he's the sending God. Um, in this chapter of Acts, we see three elements of the way he sends. We see that, that God sends Jesus. Um, 
So, so, so you could say 1A, we worship the sending God. God sent Jesus. And if you go back to the, the, well, it says it here on the bottom. You know, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day was taken up to heaven. And, and, and so all of Luke is the story of God sending the Son to come and reveal the heart of the Father to the people and to bring restoration to die for the sins of the world, to be raised from the dead, and to unite all people so that the gospel is for everyone, not just for God's little chosen few in the middle. Um, so, so at the start of this, we see God sends Jesus. Um, he says in Acts, Acts 1, 1, you know, my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So I spent all the time writing about what he began to do and teach. Implication, there's a whole bunch that came after that. Like Luke's gospel, the story of everything up to Jesus' death and resurrection is just the beginning. We kind of look at that as like all of it. Like that's all that Jesus didn't talk was what was in, in, in those chapters in, in the gospels. But that's just the beginning of what Jesus did and taught. This is the story of, like Acts is the story of Jesus rising to the right hand of the Father. And in that place at the right hand of the Father, the living Jesus is still doing and teaching things in the world today. And, and I think we've lost sight of that. We think Jesus did his thing. He went up there, we worship him, the Holy Spirit's here, and now it's our job to get out there and do stuff. But Jesus is still there, alive, doing and teaching. And we are the primary instruments he uses to do and to teach in the world around about us. I keep telling myself I'm going to go quick and just gloss over some points, and then I'm like, bet. <laughs> At the end of this, it's, it's important to remember this last line. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So, so we've read in Luke, if, well, if you read Luke, uh, if you read all the way through Luke, you read in Luke 24 chapters, he's explaining all the stuff Jesus is teaching and doing and clarifying. Um, in Acts, Luke's given this great summary. What did Jesus do? He taught about the kingdom of God. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? Do you understand what the kingdom is and what our role is within that kingdom? That's what this series is for, to help us understand the kingdom of God, our role in it, the promises that are for us, what's available to us, and what our role is in expanding that kingdom into the community around about us. So, so Jesus, first of all, God sent the, the Son. We see that at the beginning. It goes on and we're gonna see, like he sent the Spirit. Um, just, there's a little verse just up there to, to, to look at very briefly because um, we're going to gloss over it. This is verse 4 and 5. You know, He's going to say, wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. John baptized with water. In a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit. So we get the sending God. He sent all the way. Then he sends Jesus. Then he sends the Spirit to, to be this empowerment that's going to lead us in the things that God wants us to do. And then from there, we're going to see at the end, God sends the church. Um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there's lots of people in here that have grown up in the church. You know lots of Bible. You know lots of scripture. And we sit and we say, I don't know how to share the gospel with someone because I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel equipped enough. I don't know that I have the tools and the resources that I need to be able to do this. And so we're like, oh, what do I do? These guys don't have this. These guys didn't have 30 years of sitting in Bible studies before God says, you will be my witnesses. Like this power is gonna fall and I'm gonna send you 
Whether you like it or not, <laughs> you're going. Uh, hopefully you like it. But, but you're going to go, I'm going to send you, and it's your job to take this message uh, to other people. Why? Because this message is the hope that people are longing for. People in this world are hungering for truth. They're hungering for purpose. They're hungering for a sense of belonging. They're hungering to know that there is more to this world than just atoms bouncing around with no purpose. People are hungry for the truth. And so we're being sent to be witnesses that there's a purpose, that there's a vision, that, that you're here for a reason, that you're loved, that you're cherished, that you're forgiven. Um, and we're to carry that message to people that need it. Um, so God has ascended God. He sent Jesus. He sent the Spirit. He sends us, the church, to go and do his work. And um, we are a sent church. We are a sent church. We are sent people. And this is the part that I just feel like we don't get in the Western world. Like, I talked to my friends in India. I had a buddy call me the other day, and he's telling me about all these people. Like his landlord just gave his life to Jesus because they've been sharing the gospel with his landlord. He's out excited when he gets on a train, and he has four hours, and he gets an opportunity to meet people that don't know Jesus and share the gospel because in his mind, I'm sent. And he's like, so how many people are coming to faith in your church this week? And I'm like, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. It's coming. It's coming. Um, I think we, we tend to view ourselves as like a sitting still gathered people. Um, we don't see ourselves as a sent people. And the entire book of Acts is telling us that we're on a mission and that we're being sent. And really the evaluation of the, of the effectiveness of our church is how well are we doing at carrying this message to people and seeing lives being transformed. Because if we're not doing that, then we're failing in the mission that he's given us. This, this is an identity piece. We are sent people. Um, when, when the Bible starts talking about the apostles, the, the word apostles is the word apostolos. Right? It comes from the word apostello. It literally means one who is sent. So in some sense, we are all apostles. We're all sent ones who are sent out into the world to carry on this work. Um, you've heard me say this line before. My buddy Rufus in India, this is one of the lines that he says all the time, and I love it. He always says, we gather to scatter, and we scatter to gather. Again, the Western world, it's like we gather to gather. And then we scatter to go on with life and do all the busy stuff and then get back to church next week. Um, but the whole point of us gathering is to be filled up, to be encouraged, to be trained and sent out to do the work that he's called us to do. And then we're out there, we're sent out, not just to do our normal work and go through the motions, but to gather people to Christ for the purpose of expanding his work in this world. So we gather to scatter, we scatter to gather. So point one, you know, we worship ascending God. Point two, when God sends, God supplies. When God sends, God supplies. Like, they're, like we're sitting in this situation, we're redeveloping as a church, we're revisioning. Uh, the district is looking at our finances and going, do you have the money to, to do the things that you're being called to do? When God sends, God supplies. Like, if you, if you look at, the, at the, the budget on the back, there was a deficit at the end of the budget year, and God gave two massive year-end gifts that put us significantly over what we were needing to, to meet target. Like, when, when God sends us to do a work, God is supplying the things that we need, and he'll continue to do that. Um, I love Hudson Taylor. You ever read the, the great missionaries? Read Hudson Taylor's biography. Read James Fraser's biography. Read George Mueller's biography. Hudson Taylor, he, he's quoted all the time. 
Uh, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. If we're here and we're doing God's work and we're doing it his way, God will always pour out the things that we need to do it. And then individually, I'm talking corporately, individually, when God calls you to do something, when God sends you, if you do the thing that he's asking you to do, he will supply what you need. If you don't feel like you have the knowledge, he will supply the knowledge. If you don't feel you have the money, he will supply the money. If you don't feel you have the power, he will send the power to do the things that he wants to do through you. When God sends, God supplies. So, <laughs> jumping back into the passage. <laughs> God supplies power. God supplies the power. Look at this. This is Acts 1, starting at verse 4. On the occasion while he's eaten with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised which you've heard me speak about. John baptized with water. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're not going to go into this today. There's plenty of time for this throughout the series. Um, baptism in the Spirit. I just want to draw one little parallel here to think about. When we talk about baptism, we reduce baptism to dip in the water and come out the water. I've talked about this here before. Baptism is being immersed in the triune God. It's immersing your life in the life of Jesus, dying with him, living with him, being resurrected with him. It's about immersion in the Trinitarian nature of God. Uh, so here, when he's talking about John baptized with water, it was cleansing, it was full immersion. You're going to be baptized with the Spirit. This is a full immersion in the Spirit. This has been so filled with him and so, so marked by him that your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes, your mission, your calling are all marked by him and what he wants to do. Um, there's, there's more we can talk about that, but this, is, like, this moment is coming. He's promising the church this moment where they will be immersed in the power of the Spirit, which Old Testament was just temporary. This is a permanent outpouring that's going to transform what we do. Keep going. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. He makes this really clear. What's the relationship or, or what's the purpose of the power, I guess I should say. Can you jump onto the, there we go. What's the purpose of the power? There's a promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and what? you will be my witnesses. Like this power is poured into our life to equip us to be witnesses to the truth of Jesus. So the spirit filling you equals witnessing to the message of Jesus. So if you are not witnessing to the message of Jesus, you're not walking in the fullness of the spirit. And I don't know about you, I wanna be walking in the fullness of the spirit. I want him filling me with a compelling desire to share the gospel with the people around about me. I want to, to be so filled with the Spirit that I'm full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness to the people around about me. I want to be so full of the Spirit that when we're sitting in the world that we're sitting right now with the events that happened this week, on one side you've got people who are angry because people are storming the Capitol, on the other side you've got people who are angry because the election is... Uh, has been overthrown and the wrong person is to see and there's just anger and there's all these Christians right now angry and I don't know that most of it is righteous anger <laughs> I mean I know that the anger that I feel I would like to call it righteous anger but there's a lot of me in it um, 
I want to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I want someone to look at me in the middle of these situations and say, how can you be so peaceful? How can you be so confident that God is in control when things don't look the way that we want them to look? I want to be so filled with the Spirit that I'm compelled outward with the message that Jesus brings. I want that for us as a church. And so part, part of the reason you brought me on, <laughs> you're like, come and, and pastor, is, is help lead this church forward. And so if we want to move forward in sharing the gospel, if we want to be better at being witnesses, then we need to be better at being immersed in the Spirit. And so we can't just say, let's just put on a bunch of activities and get out there. We're going to start meeting people, like having people in. We're going to put on events and, and all these people are going to come. We need to wait. He said, wait in Jerusalem and my spirit is going to be poured out. And so we're in this situation, the, the spirit's been poured out. When you gave your life to Jesus, you got the spirit inside. But there's a filling that we need as a congregation. We've got to keep seeking him. And individually, like I want you to, through this series, like at home, be going, God, I want to be filled with your spirit. Um, and if you're like, that's scary, your prayer is, God, help me to want to be filled with your spirit. Help me to want to be your witness. Let's just start there. Um, you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and we're going to see the rest of the gospel is, or the rest of Acts, sorry, is, follows that pattern. You're going to see a few chapters where the gospel, where, where, where these people are being witnesses in Jerusalem. You're going to see a few more chapters where it spreads out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Then you're going to see basically the, the, the entire last half of the book is it spreading to the ends of the earth with, with Rome being that seat at the end of the earth where the gospel is spreading. Um, so we're going to see this, this commission play out. But <clears throat> whenever you see this, you know, this is a commission for the church. It's a commission for us. So we will be witnesses in Hillsborough and Beaverton, Aloha, and the state of Oregon, and the ends of the earth. So this is, this is that, that call to be focused here. And there are some people in this church whose primary gifting is to be focused on the community right around you. There are some people in and around our church and missionaries that we support whose primary gifting is out there to the ends of the earth. And it's supporting all of it. And understanding that God is equipping us to do all of those things. Let me go on to the next part of this, this passage. After he said this, after Jesus has told them, wait, this power is going to come uh, and, and you're going to become my witnesses. After he says this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. Okay, this is where I get my wee geek out moments. I love these moments. Okay, a cloud hides them from his sight. I was reading, I was reading a commentator and he, he made a comment and I look at Monica and he's like, this is not what the guy's saying, but this is where it took me. And then I explain it all to Monica and then I read the next verse and and that was what he was saying next. If I just read the next, the next line. Um, but one of the things that, that came to my mind as, as I was reflecting on this, the significance of a cloud, right? We, in, in this moment, you're probably thinking of a big fluffy white cloud that's up in the sky, right? Um, that, that's the way it goes. And part of that is all the art from the medieval times of angels on clouds and all of that stuff. And we've got this image, a cloud in the sky, and Jesus kind of going up in this cloud and disappearing. But clouds are significant in the scripture. 
Because you've got this moment where, uh, uh, how far back do you go? The, the Red Sea. And they cross the Red Sea and they're, they're fleeing from the enemy. And there's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So this pillar of cloud that represented the presence of God guiding the people. They go further on and Moses goes up Mount Sinai. And what does it say? There was a cloud at the top and everyone was scared to go near it. And Moses went into the cloud and he met with God and he came down with a new commission to, and a new law that carried the people forward. Then he gives them instructions to make this tabernacle. And it would say Moses would go into the tabernacle and this cloud would descend on the tabernacle, the cloud of the presence of God descending on the tabernacle so that no one could go near and then they go on and they build the temple and, it, and there's these joyous moments where this glory cloud, the Shekinah glory of God falls on the temple and no one can go near it. You've got the Holy of Holies where this cloud of God's presence sits over the Ark of the Covenant and no one can go in except one day a year because it's so holy. You've got the sad moments that come after that with the, 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 the prophets and the historical writings where people are walking in disobedience to the Lord and the cloud departs and God's presence is gone from the temple. And at this point, we're talking about Jesus. Jump forward. The Mount of Transfiguration. So it says Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up a mountain. And while they're there, Jesus starts praying. And it says all of a sudden, he was transfigured. He was transformed. And he becomes shiny, dazzling white. And these two people, Moses and Elijah, come and appear before him. And they have this conversation. And there's this moment there um, where, where Peter, James, and John are like, let's build tents and let's stay here forever. This is amazing. Jesus in all his glory, let's forget the mission. Let's forget what he's called us to do. Let's just build tents and camp out here forever because this is amazing. Who needs the rest of the disciples? They're a pain in the rear end anyway. Um, so here they are at the top of the mountain. And, and then what happens? This cloud comes and hides Jesus. And then everything goes back to normal. And Jesus is like, don't tell anyone. And they all go down the hill. And so fast forward to this part of the story. I wonder if this is the moment where Peter, James, and John realized they could talk about this. Because all of a sudden, a cloud appears and hides them from the sight. Is this the same cloud of God's presence that was over the tabernacle? Is this the same cloud of presence that rested over the Ark of the Covenant? Is this the same cloud that, that appeared at the transfiguration and hid people from their sight? And so I'm pretty sure Peter, James, and John are watching Jesus in this cloud going up. And they're like, any minute now, the cloud disappears and we're all back to normal. And all of a sudden, the cloud goes and he's gone. And it's like, Jesus is gone. And I'm sure he's like, that's not how I am the last time. <laughs> but, but what happens? I love this line. Men of Galilee, these two angels appear. No, two angelly people appear at, at the resurrection too. These two angels appear. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking up into the sky? I love this question because I think this is what we do in the Western church. We just stand around looking up into the sky, worshiping God, enjoying our holy huddle. And God's going, why do you stand there looking up into the sky? Like Jesus has ascended. His spirit has come. Go be my witnesses. Let's not just sit around and do it. And we're so content to sit around. And there's different versions of that. Some people want to sit around and read the Bible. 
Some people want to sit around and, and study intensely. Some people want to sit around and have prophetic, magical experiences. We just want to sit around and gaze into the sky. But this, 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 this question should be a convicting challenge to us. Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? We've got so many excuses. <laughs> I know I've got plenty. I, I, I shouldn't put them on you. I've got plenty of excuses why it's great to sit in the sky and not get out there and do what he's called us to do. Um, but this is the challenge. Are we going to go? Are we going to allow this presence that, that is now no longer an external manifestation, this cloud that came and hid Jesus from sight, we're going to read in the next chapter, falls and goes inside of them and begins to dwell in them and compel them to do the work of God. Um, so I said, you know, God, when God sends, God supplies. So we, we've just seen he supplies the power. The next part of this passage, he supplies the leaders. God supplies the leaders. And, and we read this story. Judas has deserted. He's, he, he's walked away and uh, and he's, he's betrayed Jesus. And now you've got these 11 disciples going, there were all these prophecies and predictions and teachings about us 12. How does it work when there's only 11 of us? Like, the message that, that we're going to see through Acts is that the church is a continuation of what God was doing with Israel. And so if God had 12 for Israel, how do we be a continuation with 11? Right? So, so they're, they're sitting going, what do we do? How do we do this? And, and, and so they go into this process of, of reflecting back on scriptures, and they come up with some scriptures that, that they understand were predicting that Judas would do what he would do. And this, this verse that says that, that they shouldn't just stay there but find someone to fill his spot. And so they walk in wisdom. They don't have the indwelling spirit yet. So they're using sanctified wisdom and going, we need to step forward and do this work. Uh, and they find someone to replace them. But there's, there's a few verses or phrases in here when it comes to God supplying leaders that I think are important for us to reflect on. Um, it begins by saying, the apostles returned to Jerusalem. So Jesus has said, wait, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait there until this power comes. So as it goes on to, to share this story about them picking Matthias to replace Judas, it begins with, so... They return to Jerusalem. So these are leaders who are walking in obedience to the word of God. Like Jesus has just left. There's a promise that power is going to come. There's no indication of when. Don't ask the times and all of that stuff. Just go and it's going to come. And so they go and they wait and they trust. So this moment of obedience. And then the moment, uh, the, the commitment to prayer. So what do they do when they don't know what's next? They go to wait. They gather in a room and it says all of them. I mean, they've just, at one point they said 120 people. So 120 people gather in a room and they just get to praying. No other agenda than to wait on the Lord and invite his spirit. And so I imagine they probably spent several hours, maybe several days, petitioning God and crying out to him. And we're like, I said my one-line prayer and God didn't move. <laughs> it's like, if we want to see the spirit fill us and send us, then we got to be willing to wait, to seek him, to cry out to him for his spirit to fall on us and to send us out. It goes on to say, Peter said, you know, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. These are men of the word. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the prophecies that had been spoken. They knew the promises, and they stood on them. So at this moment, when they don't know what to do, what do they do? They turn to scripture, and they say, what does scripture say to do? And Peter starts expounding the truth. They, they, 
dance in their wisdom. You know, therefore it's necessary. Let's choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time. I, I love this little line. What's the qualification for leadership in God's kingdom? People that have been with them the whole time. <laughs> not the people that are there half-heartedly, not the people that dip in and out, but the people who are with Christ the whole time and striving to walk and live with him. Those are the people most qualified to lead in the kingdom. Sometimes those are newer believers. Sometimes those are old believers. Um, is that who we are? And then they finish, they pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart. I love this moment of faith. Lord, we're trying to figure out how to replace Judas. We're trying to work out what we're supposed to do. We see these things in scripture. It seems to make sense. It looks like you've foreordained all of this. So you've already got the replacement picked. And so we're gonna do it. Lord, you know every heart. I actually hate this verse. I said I love it. I hate this verse because I always get to it and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Every single heart in here, he knows. He knows the goodness inside of you. He knows the depth of the wickedness that's inside of you. He knows all. But the beautiful thing is, <laughs> someone sent me a meme the other day and it said, when God, uh, when God called you to do his work, he already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> I was like, I love it. He knows everyone's heart. He knows your brokenness. He's already factored that into his plan. Uh, and he's going to work through you. Um, put this last slide up here. You know, our effectiveness, when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to witnessing to the people around about us, our effectiveness as witnesses corresponds to the time that we spend with Jesus. That supersedes the training that we have it supersedes the amount of practice that we've engaged in. It supersedes our personality and our confidence. Our effectiveness as witnesses corresponds to the time that we spend with him. When you spend time with Jesus, it changes you and you cannot help but talk about it. So what can happen is I wake up in the morning, I read my Bible, and I'm just doing what I've always learned. And I'm learning the facts and I'm engaging with the truth and it's good for you, but you're not encountering him. And so you put your Bible to the side and you have no desire to share it because we're just going through the motion. We're not spending time with him. We're spending time with stuff that talks about him. It's possible to come and gather as a church and worship and celebrate and listen to a good message. And, and we're so hard-hearted in the moment. We're analyzing, we're critiquing, we're not engaging him as he's speaking to us. But he wants, to, he wants us to encounter him. He wants us to, to respond to him so that he can fill us and then he'll send us. So if we want to be a church that's bearing witness in Hillsborough, if we want to see Bentley Street revival because people are coming to him, that's going to be directly correlated to how we as a church are encountering him, not sitting alone reading the Bible, not gathering to listen to a sermon and sing some songs, but encountering him. And so over this series, I'm hoping that's what we're going to learn and practice together as we try to be a people who are sent, that we would spend time with him, that we would wait on him, that we would receive the power from on high that fills us and then sends us to be his witnesses here all the way to the ends of the earth. Um, and hopefully, as we walk through the book of Acts, it's going to teach us what that looks like and how to do it as we live out our identity as sent people 
in this world. Let me pray. God, thank you that, yeah, before the foundation of the world, you chose us to be yours. That, that before the foundation of the world, you, you had a plan for our life to use us to be in intimacy with you and experience fulfillment, to be gifted by you, to carry out an incredible purpose that brings hope to the world, and then to be sent with that message to offer hope and wholeness and healing to other people. And God, thank you that all of that, you factored in our brokenness, you factored in our stupidity, you factored in our limitations. Um, and then here at this church, Lord, you knew this church would be born, you knew it would exist, you knew I would stand here. Um, so Lord, our job now is to wait on you. God, what is your heart for here? What do you want to speak to us? God, let this be a place where you are encountered. That our lives would be transformed and that we would be compelled to be your witnesses to the end of the world. Lord, help us to live as sent ones. In Jesus' name, amen.